Good afternoon. I'm Rachel Cassandra, and welcome to Midday Magazine for Friday, February 10th. Petersburg's Volunteer Fire Department responded to a small fire this morning at the bunkhouse at Tonka Seafoods on South Nordic Drive in Petersburg. The fire was reported at 10.30 a.m. About 10 people from the fire department and one police officer showed up. The fire started because a bunkhouse resident left laundry on top of a stove top and accidentally turned on one of the burners. The fire department put out the fire within a half hour. It damaged several appliances and caused minor smoke damage in the room where it started. President Joe Biden didn't mention the Willow Arctic drilling proposal in his State of the Union address Tuesday, but Alaska Congresswoman Mary Peltola and U.S. Senator Lisa Murkowski issued responses to the speech that were all about the ConocoPhillips project. Murkowski said in a videotaped statement that domestically produced oil from the National Petroleum Reserve Alaska fits with Biden's push to buy materials made in America. Mr. President, do the right thing and approve that project so that it gets Alaskans to work. It helps our Native people who live in that region. It helps our state. It helps our country and it helps our allies. That's that's made in America. Peltola said Alaska has not experienced the rapid job growth that the rest of the country enjoys, but Willow would create thousands of good-paying jobs. Willow would be the largest North Slope drilling project in years. It has wide support in the area, although in Nuiqsut, the nearest community, the tribal and city governments have written a letter opposing it. On a tiny remote island in southeast Alaska, scientists recently made a surprising discovery. Wolves are eating sea otters, and not just one every so often. For this pack, it's the wolves' main source of food. Coast Alaska's Angela Denning has this story on a study that's making waves in the scientific community. Pleasant Island is located about a mile south of the mainland near the town of Gustavus. Historically, wolves would occasionally swim over, but had never colonized the island until about a decade ago. This pack of wolves really defied all of our predictions. Gretchen Roffler has studied wolves in southeast for eight years, and she's the lead author of a study published in January on the island's wolves. This new pack killed all the black-tailed deer on the island, a favorite meal for southeast wolves. They're a territorial species, and an established pack was back on the mainland, preventing a return. Roffler and other scientists assumed they would die off from starvation. But instead, what we found was that the wolves stayed on the island, and they continued to reproduce annually. But how? The island is small, just over 20 square miles. What were the wolves eating? Nearby residents in Gustavus noticed new wolf activity on the island where they would hunt deer and pick berries. Greg Streveler is one of them. And his first thought was... Uh-oh. <laughs> Streveler is a retired ecologist with the National Park Service and has studied the area's land and animals for over 50 years. The uh-oh was, you could see what's coming. Having the pack discovered the place and there was uh, two wolves instead of one, uh, you could kind of read the tea leaves, you know. Within a few years, Streveler and other residents saw the island's deer disappear. So the scientists stepped in and began to gather data. In 2015, they counted three wolves. A year later, there were 10. By 2017, 13. The wolf densities on this island at this time were some of the highest ever recorded. 
Raffler's team collected scat and studied it in the lab, and it showed something surprising: sea otter. And at first, I thought, well, this is maybe just a blip. Maybe this is just an occasional thing that wolves are able to do. So they collected wolf hair. While scat shows what wolves have eaten recently, hair gives scientists a longer look. And tests on the hair proved it wasn't a blip. The wolves were eating lots of sea otters and had been for a while. Ruffler says it underscores how adaptable they are. Something that we assume about wolves is that they really can't live without ungulate prey.、Um, they very quickly switched to a diet that primarily consists of sea otters. It really just took a couple years for that to happen. Starting in 2020, Roffler's team GPSed collared some of the wolves so they could study so-called kill sites where the wolves likely feasted for a while. They noticed the wolves were traveling around the circular island along the tide line. When we look at all the wolf GPS location data, if we just splash it onto a map, it sort of looks like a donut. Sea otters might look cute. Maybe you've seen photos of them floating on their backs and holding hands, but they aren't small or defenseless. They have sharp teeth for cracking shellfish to eat, and males can grow to 100 pounds. Based on the kill sites, the scientists believe the wolves are targeting otters at low tide when they're on the land or in the shallows, and they're more vulnerable. Raffler hasn't witnessed the pack hunt and is hesitant to speculate about it, but Shreveler has a theory. The wolves are not dealing with a healthy group of otters, so I, I don't think it's a big deal for wolves. To find some, he says otters in the area might be weak and are hauling out on land more than normal. Sea otters were introduced to the region in the 1960s after being hunted to near extinction. Streffler says it's possible that there are more otters in the area than the habitat can support. Before nobody here saw ever saw an otter haul out ever, and so you find a naive group of very easy to catch, very very delicious critters. Uh, oh my God! You know, it's like discovering the Garden of Eden. Scientists don't know how this unusual diet might affect wolves in the long term. Roffler says that's their next big question: how contaminants accumulate in the food web. Wolves are apex predators, and sea otters are apex nearshore predators. So any sort of contaminants in the environment,、um, if they're being consumed by sea otters or by sea otter prey, they would bioaccumulate in wolves. So this is something we're trying to study more. They also don't know how long the food source will be around, but Strevler thinks it's temporary. The sea otter wolf thing is probably a flash in the pan. It's not likely there's going to be both a lot of sea otters and a lot of weak sea otters、uh, available very long. It's a, a very, very, I think, brief opportunistic window. Besides the future of this wolf pack. The implications of the study are turning some corners of the science world upside down. In a commentary, Princeton University ecology professor Robert Pringle says the conclusions challenge dogma. New ways of gathering data are debunking grand theoretical generalizations. He writes, "One thing it needs now is a rejuvenated commitment to figuring out what is what in the real world." Reporting for Coast Alaska in Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning. Petersburg High School hosted several teams from across Southeast Alaska last weekend for its junior varsity basketball tournament. The tournament began on a high note for the Lady Vikings. On Friday, they beat Juno 23 to 17. 
The following morning, they lost to Juno, 28 to 14. Ketchikan's Lady Vikings, sorry, Lady Kings won the next two games, 24 to 14, then 28 to 11. The Viking boys also started strong on their first day. Last Thursday, they played the Sitka Sea team in what was the Vikings' only game with a full team. Petersburg beat Sitka 39-33, which Coach Rick Brock remembers as the highlight of the tournament. The Haynes Glacier Bears weren't able to attend at all, so for the rest of the weekend, each team split in two, enabling players to participate in multiple contests per day. On Friday, the Ketchikan Kings beat the Petersburg White team 53-23, to the Sitka Wolves won against the Petersburg Blue team 25 to 18. In a split team match, Petersburg's white team beat the Blues 27 to 24. Saturday, the Kings beat Petersburg Blue 40 to 23, and the Wolves beat Petersburg White 37 to 17. But this time around, Petersburg Blue won 37 to 17 against Petersburg White. Petersburg's varsity basketball teams are on their way to Metlakatla to play their third conference game of the season. KFSK broadcast those scores and news of the Vi- will broadcast those scores and news of the Vikings' performance early next week. Shelby Herbert recently joined the KFSK news team in Petersburg as a reporter. She moved around as a kid as part of a military family and went to high school in Whispering Pines, North Carolina. In January, she moved up to Alaska after earning her master's degree in journalism at the University of Nevada, Reno. Herbert spoke with KFSK about her journey to the station and what it's like reporting in Petersburg. Hi, Rachel. I'm Shelby Herbert. I'm the new reporter here at KFSK. As a totally unbiased opinion, the newsroom is very happy to have you, I heard. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. It's a beautiful town and there are so many things to report on here. I am drinking from the fire hose this whole month. When I told people I was coming to a small town to report, they were like, there's going to be nothing to report on. And it's really the opposite. People are so invested in knowing what's going on in the community here. 100%. Why don't you tell us a little about your reporting background? Sure, Rachel. So I have a print background. I've reported for a couple similar newsrooms, I guess in size, but not in format. I went to undergrad in a tiny mountain town in Colorado. It's about 5,000 people. And I was writing stories out there. And then during the pandemic, I, I actually got evacuated from my Peace Corps service in Nepal. I ended up back in my hometown in North Carolina, which is very, very tiny. I jumped back into journalism in the in the middle of the pandemic, decided to go to grad school, and that's where I got thrown into the world of radio, had a lot of fun reporting with our NPR affiliate in, in northern Nevada. I have my own reasons. I also shifted from print to radio, but I'm curious what called you about radio. Definitely. I think it's such a nimble medium. I love that I can just take off when something's happening with two pieces of equipment. It's speedy. It's fun. 
I'm kind of a, a tech nerd. I love I love editing. I love looking at waveforms, folks. Yeah, I really like also how when you're listening to someone's story in your ears, in their own voice, it really transports you in a different way than reading something on the page. So you just made a huge move in your life, moving from Reno, right? And <laughs> yeah, how has the move been? My skin has never felt better, Rachel. I came out here from the fastest warming city in the United States. It gets more sunshine than Honolulu. And we were in the worst drought in a millennia. I feel very welcomed here. The people are are so kind. And um, I love that I can wake up every morning and just see the water. And the, the pace out here is great. So we're both general assignment reporters, so we cover everything the community needs us to cover. But when you get to pick your stories, what kinds of things do you like to report on? Science, Rachel. I am all about science, especially anything involving the outdoors, the environment, climate. Everything I've I've worked on so far has been a lot of fun. You've taken on some fishing stories, I right? have, I have. Labor industry, that's important to me. And I heard in your personal life, you also really love outdoors stuff. I'm a fan. I'm a, I'm a fan of the outdoors. I used to be on a, a search and rescue team in Colorado, and I heard we have a, a good SAR team out here. Yeah, they're probably going to try to draft you after hearing this story. No way! Oh my gosh, that would be crazy. Just running out with a um, first aid kit and a Zoom mic. That'd be a wild time. Yeah, I've... Uh, done some ice climbing, love climbing mountains, cross-country skiing. What is ice climbing like? That's a great question, that Rachel. That sounds terrifying to My me. My first time, I was in Lake City, Colorado, and I was having a whole lot of fun, but not really checking in with myself, and especially with how my circulation was going. There's this thing in the ice climbing world called... The screaming barfies. I, I hope that's something I can say on the radio. The screaming barfies happen when you're holding your arms above your head because you've got those ice picks. And that takes away blood from your extremities. It's also very cold. So your your blood is kind of in your core anyways. So you're using your arms. They're above your head. It's very, very cold. And then... When you complete your route and you get to the bottom, all that blood rushes back into your arms and your legs. And it is one of the most unpleasant feelings I've ever experienced in my life. It leaves so fast, but it's kind of like having a brain freeze in both of your arms at the same time. And it makes you want to run around and scream and throw up. So be careful out there. If you're ever ice climbing, take lots of breaks, wear warm clothing. Well, thank you for that. You're very welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and thanks for talking. Thank you, Um, Rachel. That was KFSK's new news reporter, Shelby Herbert, speaking with KFSK. And I'm Rachel Cassandra for KFSK. Coming up, local and marine weather.